Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hello, and welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with Stedman Henderson and Emil Hurst. How you guys doing today? Hey, what's going on? Doing good, RJ. How you doing? Good. So why don't y'all take a second to introduce yourselves and uh, tell us a little bit about what you do in real estate investing. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So uh, my name is Stedman Henderson. Um, been uh, basically do wholesaling, uh, virtual wholesaling, and. Uh, Pretty much started out. I personally started out in the uh, DC market, and uh, was doing it as a part-time job there. You know, had a full-time job uh, employed with the federal government and uh, law enforcement. So, uh, just like anybody else, uh, just want to make more time for myself, spend time with my family, and uh, really wanted to make wholesaling a full-time business. But uh, that's just a little quick overview. I can go to more deeper and some more about my background if you'd like, but I want to pass it to email so we can get some time before we can go further into why we, why we do what we do, but okay. we, we wholesale virtually um, in, in several markets. Okay. And Emil, how did you get started? Yep. Uh, Emil Hurts, uh, kind of like everybody else in the uh, real estate world. Uh, my mom gave me rich dad, poor dad. Uh, when I was in college, I was in between uh, two failing businesses. Um, then once I graduated, uh, got into law enforcement, uh, just like Stead, and had an on-the-job accident. And uh, that was really a game-changer because I uh, put my health on the line for only a few uh, hundred dollars. Uh, from there, discovered wholesaling and uh, just drowned myself in knowledge. And we've been practicing uh, that since 2014 and uh, been fortunate so far. And how did you, the two of y'all come together and become partners in your current business? Yeah, so uh, what happened was, um, I, like I said, I was doing. I started out full time in DC, uh, not full time, but I was part time wholesaling in DC. And um, with me working the type of job I was working, I worked a lot of crazy hours uh, on the road all the time. Never really had a lot of family time to really focus on doing what I wanted to do. So um, it took a toll on me personally because my family, you know, we had a lot of family struggles with uh, us being from New Orleans, living in DC not really knowing a lot of people out there, not really having any uh, immediate or, or close relatives there. So uh, what I decided to do was uh, we, we made a decision, family decision, to move back home to New Orleans where life could be a little easier um, personally. And so I figured that was the best opportunity to take wholesaling full time. So uh, we moved back to New Orleans and me and Emil went to our first seminar together, which uh, a couple of years ago, like we were like 18 years old, 19 years old, went to our first Rich Dad, Poor Dad seminar. So <laughs> we were uh, always good friends and always, you know, sharing our stories in different markets about, you know, wholesaling. So when I told him I was moving home, we saw the perfect opportunity to put, put two great minds together and uh, build a monster. So uh, that's that's how I got started. That was my, my journey. And that's how we pretty much partnered up. Just he was doing his thing here in New Orleans. I was coming down. And instead of just having two of us, we already know each other, we trust, trust each other. Instead of having two people, you know, that can do one thing, we just put our minds together like you should. We, whenever you have someone that you trust and you trust their vision and their knowledge 
So that's what we did, and uh, that's how the partnership formed. And we pretty much put it all together once I moved down. Gotcha. And so now y'all currently live in New Orleans. What markets are y'all investing in or wholesaling in? Uh, Maryland, uh, Maryland, Virginia, in the D.C. area. Uh, and we, we also in, come into Georgia. We should be in Georgia within the last, uh, probably, yeah, last quarter, sorry. And uh, we, we're going to constantly expand from there. So we should be in five, at least five different markets by this time next year. But uh, again, that, that's that's our goal. But we, we think we're going to blow past that. Gotcha. And is the majority of your business right now in New Orleans? Yes. Yes. The majority of our business is, is in New Orleans. Again, New Orleans is a struggling market. So we pretty much make a lot of things that probably won't work, work. So we, we see a lot of crazy things happen in this, uh, in, in this, in this world with uh, New Orleans, with a, with a lot of title issues and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're pretty much going to be able to take this knowledge and this skill in other markets where they have cleaner titles and a little, little less uh, hard work involved, I guess. I mean, it's all hard work, but New Orleans right. is, a, is a struggling market. So, uh, and when you say it's a struggling market, kind of explain that to people because I think nowadays it's so common. I have people on here, and they're all they talk about is is the market's great. It's a super hot market. It's easy to wholesale. It's easy to find rentals. Are y'all mainly wholesaling rental properties, flips? What kind of deals are y'all finding in New Orleans? Uh. No, nah, man, actually, uh, we've been having success uh, with vacant land. Um, we're a decade plus removed uh, from Hurricane Katrina. Uh, so the city was uh, were littered with blighted properties. Uh, and the city is kind of getting fed up with it now. So a lot of these properties are being torn down. So uh, we have blocks uh, across the city that's all vacant land. So now new construction uh, is really on the rise. Uh, so our model is we go after uh, a lot of vacant lots. Uh, we still get uh, blighted properties. We still get uh, some owner ox, uh, but our statistics are right now that we're real heavy on uh, vacant lots, and there are a lot of renovators that's turning into builders uh, just because of the opportunities. Um, some of the challenges that uh, Stemmen is referring to um, is really uh, municipal and, and legal. Uh, after Hurricane Katrina, uh, we just got a lot of federal money uh, and a lot of the owners were supposed to uh, renovate uh, the houses uh, or raise the houses uh, from flood elevation grants, uh, and they just didn't. So those liens uh, and those different covenants uh, run with the property, and a lot of times those um, those amounts are greater than the value of the property. So they make it tough to close. So either we have to try to make those owner finance deals uh, and wait them out uh, until the values catch up with the debt, Oh, we just can't close them all uh, at all. So that's what's mm-hmm. that, uh, when we have to get creative. So a lot of markets, and I know what you mean, OJ, uh, when guys say we're blowing and going to market, we're closing 67, 80 deals. Well, I mean, last year we put about 50 on the contract, but only about 30 closed right. uh, because of those uh, challenges. So, uh, I mean, it's still a strong market. It's just, uh, it's just a, a problem that we're dealing with right now, but nothing's impossible. And what kind of drew you to the vacant lot strategy? Because, you know, I, I don't hear that very often where it's like, hey, there's an opportunity here. Is that something that you just kind of saw an opportunity? You did a couple and then it was like, hey, this is working. Let's stick with it. Or was it just so necessary because of the struggles you're having with the other properties and these liens from the federal money? I mean, that's 
actually, when you think about it, it's kind of tragic. You know, we're we're almost a decade removed from Katrina, and and still the after effects are there. I mean, that's that's a tragedy for the city. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, for me, it was it was through networking. Uh, maybe about two years ago, uh, I saw some other wholesalers putting out uh, vacant lots, and I thought vacant lots were only for like neighborhood gardens and parking lots for eighteen wheelers. Um, and then I figured out what well, guys take these vacant lots and actually build new construction houses on them. Uh, so I just kept an eye on the comps. Uh, and a lot of the properties that we had under contract, uh, those code enforcement liens uh, were stacking up and they were actually torn down uh, while we had them under contract. And the buyers were still willing to buy them as a vacant lot. Um, so when we saw those spreads were pretty much the same without people in manpower for actually doing the walkthrough um doing inspections uh it's just easy especially virtually you know once once you get it online and you know the dimensions you know the comps the vacant lots is just it's just an easier play um that's how we run our operation a lot of it is uh locking them up over the phone and uh taking it from there we don't have to do those walkthroughs and inspections Gotcha. So let's talk about D.C. and Maryland and Virginia. I know that's a completely different type of market up there. What are y'all experiencing and, and what are the best kind of deals that you're getting under contract up there? Uh, the best kind of deals, tax lien deals, uh, probate deals. Um, again, you, you're absolutely right. It's a completely different market, cleaner titles, um, you know, the, the, the type of deals that you come through, we're not, we're not doing any vacant land, mostly houses, um, people that are o- over 55 years of age, um, you know, just, just your, your, your basic client for being a uh, seller. You know, some of these, some of these old, older guys and gals who have properties that they really don't want to do anything with or that they're underwater with. But again, the spreads out there are much better because it's a better market uh, as far as um, economically. Mm-hmm. So you do have a lot of houses that average for about, you know, 275, maybe $300,000 in, uh, in certain, certain areas. So you can make a, a spread much better, uh, versus, you know, the New Orleans market, but uh, the DC market has been good to us. Uh, we're not, I wouldn't say we're not dominating it yet, but we're definitely uh, making a footprint in it. Gotcha. It, it, y'all might laugh at me because of this, but you know, my company titanium investments, we're in so many different markets. And one of the markets that, when we first started expanding, we looked at was the Baltimore, Maryland market. And the thing that stood out to me that was just so different than every other market was the types of properties themselves. I mean, we would get these leads and they would be these four story townhomes connected to other properties. Does your kind of your experience growing up and living in DC kind of help you analyze those? Because for me, I mean, it was like lockdown central. I gave myself analysis paralysis, even though I, I preached to other people, please don't do that. But it really did. It, it hurt me in, in the analysis of properties because I was dealing with the types of properties that are really mainly only on the East Coast. And we're so West Coast like oriented, like that's where we've always gone. It was so hard for me to analyze properties over there. Is that kind of just your your experience living there and growing up there, does that help you analyze those types of deals? Yeah, it does. And um, let me let me say that D.C. is different from Baltimore. So in D.C., you can probably take a townhome and, you know, make a level, you know, taller or lower or whatever. So you can add different values in that townhome. 
and be able to sell it for more. You know, get rid of to talk to a lot of these construction guys who are buyers and find out what they would want to do with it. But DC, you know, they they really can add value because I guess if you have more levels in it, they can sell it versus more. A lot of guys I know personally, they buy them, they sell it by the levels of those homes, those throw homes you're talking about. They sell it by them and rent them out. You know, so that you have like three inside one home on each different level. You know, they'll throw like a little on each level and stuff. So they'll do little things like that and rent them out. But uh, D.C. is a completely different animal from Baltimore. It's way more competitive. But, yeah, you definitely can do your comps the right way there. And those townhomes, they sell, man. They sell, believe it or not. People want to be in them in D.C. So right. especially if you're in D.C., you know, Baltimore. Right. Different story depending on where you're at. Yeah, I'm with you, RJ. Uh, I'm 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 all south uh, in New Orleans, and uh, we don't have to townhomes. So same thing when those leads come in, and I see them, uh, and they squished in between the properties, and they three. I, I had never heard of that. Right. So I mean that that's the thing, and and I'm starting to get over that. I mean now that we've we've expanded to different markets like Alaska and Hawaii and Arizona and Missouri. We, we've started to see, like, literally each, like, region of the country kind of has different types of real estate and how they utilize them. It's like you're talking about, you know, you can rent out different levels. Like, you can do that in Hawaii. I mean, it's almost crazy. I mean, you can have, like, a three-story home in Hawaii. You can have a basement and then two regular stories, and that could be considered a three-unit rental property. Wow. Whereas it's like, but there's only, I mean, that's only one house, you know I mean? It's not a unit, it's it's a house, and it's just commonplace there because there's a housing shortage, and so there's a need for rental properties, and they just rent out the floors on the, the property themselves. And so I, I've seen that in the different regions, just how real estate is utilized is different, you know, across the board. Let's talk about how you guys are acquiring these properties. What what forms of marketing are you doing? I, I heard earlier that you are acquiring properties directly on the phone. Is that from direct mail and they're calling you, or is it from cold calling? Uh, cold calling. Gotcha. Is that yeah. the main form of marketing that you guys are using? Uh, it is. I, w- I would say main form that that we uh that we use full time and that we're tracking. Uh, I mean, we have some uh, PPC uh, and then with the Carousite uh, SEO uh, rolling uh, before as our bread and butter, uh, so cold calling. And what made you decide that that was going to be the form of marketing that y'all were going to use? Uh, man, tracking, uh, tracking the marketing. And uh, when I went back over the data uh, over the past three years um, from when I was in business and then the full year from when Seven came, uh, to help out uh, and took over, uh, it was it was the the highest uh, generating uh, lead form. Uh, right. so, and direct mail is just so expensive, man. So direct mail may show a higher growth, but when you go back and do those numbers, uh, the net is uh, is lower uh, than cold calling, yeah. uh, and it's so versatile uh, with the information. Uh, once that direct mail piece gets sent out. It's gone, but with cold calling, uh, you got the call, you got the text messages. Uh, in addition, you can send um, videos with that. Uh, you can just get much more creative uh, with cold calling. So we, we try to juice it 
uh, and get the most out of it as much as possible. Gotcha. And are y'all outsourcing the cold calling or do y'all have that in-house? Uh, now we have a five-man team uh, in Bangladesh that handles uh, the cold calling. Gotcha. So let's talk about that because I, you know, I have people come on here and they talk about utilizing VAs for different things, cold calling being one of them. How are you screening those cold callers and creating that team across the planet? I mean, literally, it's on the other side of the planet. So how how are you communicating to them and then screening them to make sure that they're going to be a good fit for your team? Yeah, uh, without yeah, without technology. So I mean, everything you have to do with something like that has to be technology based. Um, we use a, a program called Call Tools, which where you can listen to the calls, you can track the, the time of the calls and stuff like that. So it, it really helps us get to uh, knowing that these guys are making the right calls, they're talking to the right people, and, you know, they're getting, they're, they're saying the right things that we want them to say. So uh, I would I would suggest anyone out there who wants to use a VA, make sure you use the right type of technology and always talk to, you know, the lead person that you're going to put in charge of that of that group uh, to hold them accountable. So we have a guy Who's, who's fantastic at holding his guys accountable for doing the right thing all the time. So we trust in him and we trust in his expertise in telemarketing to make sure that his guys are doing the right thing and saying the right things over the phone to get the best value from what we want. I want to add to that too, uh, RJ. Uh, I know on a lot of podcasts, people just talk about VAs uh, just as for outsourcing and help. Uh, but to us, uh, they, they're just uh, remote employees. Uh, we just don't see them every day. So, right. I mean, our culture, uh, I mean, they eat, sleep, and breathe uh, the same thing we do, uh, relentless persistence. Uh, and that's how they attack uh, everything daily. So uh, we're all on the same page. Uh, and that training and holding everybody accountable using that scorecard, um, that, that's how we make it work. So, um yeah, I, I would say that. Uh, I think that's very important because yeah. the, the people that I see that appropriately utilize VAs in their company, they talk about them just like, like you said. They're, they're a part of the family. They're a part of the culture. They understand everything that's going on inside your company, and they're truly a part of the company. It's not outsourcing. Yep. And I think there's a huge difference between, hey, I'm going to hire this VA to outsource one task to, hey, I'm hiring this VA and they're going to become a part of the family, become a part of the team. They're going to understand what our goals are. And like you said, you put together an accountability through a scorecard. They understand that they have an accountability built into their job. And I think that makes a huge difference on achieving results by hiring VAs and not achieving results. Yeah, that kind of adds to that as well. Like uh, when we were talking about expansion with the guys in Bangladesh, uh, we, were, we were actually considering hiring more guys. And what happened was he was taking so long trying to find the right guy for our, our newer markets that, you know, it I, it took me to kind of understand, like, he's looking for the right person to kind of buy into the vision. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. want to put a guy on the phone and just, you know, have him doing random stuff over the phone or just kind of wasting time. So what Emil is saying is actually correct. What you are saying as well is that they bought into the vision and you want to find a leadership, somebody that's in a leadership position with your VAs that's going to give you what you will give them. You know, I want to give you quality, you know, I'm going to give you quality leadership and I want to, you know, see that out of you in return. So let's talk about y'all are in multiple markets. You want to be in five or six markets here in the last quarter of 2018. 
No, by the, by the end of next year. So Okay, by yeah. the end of next year. Yeah, so we'll let's, three by the end of 2018. Gotcha. So let's talk about the difference between a cold caller cold calling someone in New Orleans to cold calling someone in D.C. Isn't there a different almost a script or kind of a, a way to communicate to those sellers because they're in different regions, they're in different financial demographics, mm-hmm. and also, like you said, they're different properties. So your main property in New Orleans is, or the main thing that you're going after is vacant land, and then in D.C. you're going for properties that are in the $275,000, $300,000 range. So do you have different scripts and ways that those cold callers communicate to those sellers? Yeah, so definitely a difference. Uh, it's more so with uh, in New Orleans, people are more laid back, you know, so they'll, they'll be willing to talk to, to someone, you know, as long as you're not, you know, being disrespectful or overly pushy. But in, in markets like, you know, the D.C. area, DMV, you know, people are, are a little more savvy, they're a little more, um, not to say, you know, they're, they're smarter, but I'm, what I'm trying to say is that they're more cautious over the phone because they get calls like this all the time. You know, where in the South, I think it's more so of a Southern thing. People in the South are just more friendlier and laid back where people in the East Coast, you know, a lot of more business oriented and, you know, what, what is this about? What are you calling for? So we try to uh, encourage our VAs when they're calling some of these East Coast markets to, you know, m- remain professional, uh, to also let people know that uh, we are a legit company. Um, you know, we, we they have access to us. So. The scripts don't change as much. More so, it's the it's the uh, the conversation and how the conversation is held that that changes. You know, it's not strictly about hey, do you want to offer? We kind of let them know that who we are, what we're trying to do, and if you want an offer, you know, we, we'll la- glad you talk gladly talk to you and uh, pass you on to our managers to uh, discuss more detail about your property and, and the offer for your property. Right. But, and down here in New Orleans, kind of cut. You know. Cut and quick, you know, right to the chase. Hey, how you doing? We're calling about this property. You want to offer blah, 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 blah. Right. People are like, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Or no, I'm not really interested. Thanks for your time, whatever. Out there, they're going to ask us more questions. Like, who are you? You know, how do you uh, got, get my number? And stuff like that that you will hear in other big cities, you know, where people are kind of more cautious over the phone than just, you know, quick to have a conversation with a stranger. And credibility is way uh, yeah, much more important uh, uh, out there than, than in New Orleans. Uh, so you really got to be local um, and you really got to know uh, what you're talking about. Uh, it, it's just much more defensive, uh, yep. which is fine. We, we get it. We get it. Uh, but yeah, that is the difference. Uh, they just got to be a little bit more patient uh, with talking to the Maryland people uh, than they are in Louisiana. And it, it's funny because this is across the board. I mean, it's, it, Every market has its own personality and its own like triggers, I guess is the best way to put it. Like in Hawaii, I cannot talk to anybody about purchasing a property. And the reason why is because I the the native lingo does not flow off my tongue. Like I can say aloha, I can say mahalo, but <laughs> it, it just doesn't sound right. And and they get that. They they read right through it. Uh, we tried it for a while. I, I talked to several people, and every time within the first minute of me talking, mm. are you from the mainland? You're not from here, are you? And immediately they weren't interested. Even though I could completely solve all of their problems right. as being a motivated seller, yeah. that's what was more important to them. 
and it, it's similar in Alaska. Not that it's the, not that my accent, my southern accent makes a difference, but just not necessarily understanding the location. And so what I've noticed in Alaska a lot of times is, is, you know, we might have a property under contract in Anchorage. I just had this happen to me on Friday. I was calling a lender about a deal that we have under contract in Anchorage. Yeah. And for me, it's in Anchorage. Well, he wanted to use, is it in the valley or is it over here or is it over there? And he was using all these terms. Yeah. I have no idea. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. And immediately he didn't want to deal with me anymore because I'm clearly not from Alaska. And so it, it's funny how those markets, you know, sometimes just the little intricacies that you learn over time or what can make a huge difference in your business. And that's kind of like, I know you and I are both, all three of us have had conversations about y'all's business in DC and in Maryland. And just a little tweak here or there might make a huge difference on how many of those cold calls might convert to a lead just from changing a couple of things that you're doing compared to what you're doing in New Orleans. Because I know we felt that same difference across the country in the different markets that we go in. And it's just important to, to make sure you're paying attention to that. So that being said, are you recording your cold calls uh, to kind of go back and see how those conversations were going with your cold callers? Yeah, we are. Uh, call tools uh, allows us to do that live. So while the call is running, we can actually uh, monitor it. Uh, mm -hmm. They are recorded. Uh, and call tools also uh, allows you to, to barge in uh, on a call uh, if you need to. So uh, right now we're trying to put together a, a training program uh, to where all the cold callers can listen to the calls collectively uh, and critique each other. Uh, but to answer your question, short answer, yes, we are recording them. And uh, it helps uh, when you hear where uh, a call went wrong. Because uh, if you don't, uh, for the people that's not listening to the cold callers, You'll just see results and numbers and, right. and wonder why, uh, you know, your response rate is this and your conversion rate isn't this. Or if you go back and you look in their properties that, you know, fit your criteria and why didn't this lead uh, convert or become an appointment. If you listen to those calls, you'll start figuring it out. Just like you say, one one line or one sentence uh, that was said or not said in that phone call killed the whole thing. And you got to make sure uh, that you correct that as soon as possible. Uh, before you end up calling for a whole quarter and don't have any yep. leads on the contract. Yeah, it's so funny, man. It, it's like here in Texas, it, this is just something that I've noticed. Like here in Texas, one thing that goes far is like hospitality, like mm. being jovial, almost like joking with them and, and creating some humor and like connecting. Yeah. And in other markets, that's almost like annoying. Like, I, I don't know why you just cracked that joke. Like, that wasn't funny. But here in Texas, it works. And it, maybe that's just a, something in the market or how we were raised here and, and the, how they're raised there. I, I don't know. It's just it's little things that you notice when you record those phone calls uh, or even if you place those phone calls yourself. That's one thing I love to do uh, when we go to a new market. I like to do a lot of the initial groundwork myself. And the reason why is because I, I feel like it's hard to train somebody on how to do something if you've never done it yourself. 
And so I like to do cold calls and calling lenders and things like that myself. My team gives me a hard time about it. They say it's because I'm a control freak, but really it's just because I'm trying to learn all those different things. And, and I also feel like, yeah, there is a little bit of a control freak part of it where it's like, if I cold call somebody and I mess up because I told them a joke or I didn't say aloha or mahalo at the right time, uh, I can kind of learn from that and recover. Um, whereas maybe a, a cold caller might not be able to, unless we kind of teach it to them. But, uh, it's just, it's very important to pay attention to those little tiny details that can make a huge difference. Because at the end of the day, if you're building your list correctly, then you know, there's a motivation there. Right. So really the whole, whole point in this is just getting to the point to where you can explain to them, I'm here to solve your problem. Yeah. And you don't want anything in the meantime to screw that up. And that's the, that's like the main goal is just, I want to get my message across and I don't want anything in between before I get my entire message across to make you not want to do business with me. Yeah. So that being said, uh, we're kind of getting to that 30 minute mark. Uh, I also want to talk to you guys. It, it's interesting cause there's two of you guys, y'all are partners. Uh, y'all have big aspirations. You know, I know we've talked offline about, you know, y'all potentially becoming kind of like we are where you want to go nationwide, which I think is amazing. And I think y'all have a great business plan to do that with sticking with the wholesaling and the cold calling and and just expanding to the different markets. But what I want to talk about is, is why do you want to do that? And what is y'all's driving force behind creating that, that large of a company and, and the, obtaining those kind of goals yeah so the biggest thing is uh legacy you know we definitely want to implement a structure of a business a business that is structured to where we can uh pass it down you know to generations or you know worst case scenario we can sell you know if we choose to so um you know we we kind of grew up you know being born with, with what we had you know not not much or just what our parents had but we definitely want to implement something that we can pass down or you know, demonstrate to our families that, hey, you know, this, this is for us, this is for our family, this is for us to, to, to nurture, to take care of and continue to grow, you know. So always a tease email, you know, saying, man, we, you know, we, we're, we're, we're Pepsi, you know, that's my whole thing. So I'm always trying to be bigger than, you know, the next, you know, wholesale or the next company that, that's on the rise, you know, just to be as big or if not bigger. So just, just to have something that's passed down, you know, where our families can, you know, say, hey, this is for us. Yeah, same uh, same thing for me, RJ. Um, uh, each one of us uh, has one son, um, and I heard a story earlier this week. Uh, I forgot where I heard it, but uh, it was basically a grandmother asking one of her grandsons if they knew uh, who their great grandfather was, um, and uh, the grandson said no, and she said that's because he didn't leave you anything. And that's uh, kind of the boat that we're in. I, I don't know the first names of either my great grandfathers. Um, and the only thing I know that they ever passed down was, was just, uh, debt, debt on properties, uh, a personal debt. And, uh, we just don't want to leave that type of legacy behind. We want to make sure our sons have a head start, uh, and at least the opportunity to have the option to say whether they want to be entrepreneurs, uh, or not. Um, I mean, you know, you have, you have a child, uh, we, we won't force this on them. Uh, but we right. want them to have the choice uh, that we didn't have to say, you know, whether we want to be corporate or we were, whether we want to be entrepreneurs. So that's a driving force uh, behind that. And to just share uh, that, that same uh, relentless, persistent spirit 
that me and STEM have, we think uh, with the partners that we make in different markets, uh, there are other people that have that same uh, spirit. Um, they just need somebody to help them ignite it. Uh, and I think I think we could do that uh, without without passion and our drive as well. Uh, it just can't be contained uh, to New Orleans. So, uh, right. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Um, you know, I, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but having a, a child can make a huge difference in Man. in your path and what's important to you. Mm-hmm. And um, recently, my son, Trinity, um, who's actually been on the podcast before, um, <laughs> if y'all haven't caught that episode, he actually uh, interviews Dada on the interview. Oh, yeah. Well, um, hey, I got to see that one. Yeah, that, that, was, a, that was a fun one. <laughs> uh, but uh, he, he started this new thing where – you know, there, there's been a couple times recently where I've had to leave town for a couple of days. Mm. And um, while I was gone, he would literally play by himself imaginary real estate investor. Oh. And he was pretending to buy properties. And it was so funny because I, I got videos of it where he's talking to contractors and he's talking about how much he bought the property for <laughs> and how much work he put into it and what he sold it for. And uh, when I came home, I actually had an experience with him where I was like, okay, how much did you buy the property for? And he's like, $10. And I'm like, how much work did you put into it? And he's like, $10. And I'm like, okay. And how much are you going to sell it for? And he thought about it, and he was like, $25. And I was like, that's not bad, but I think you should go for 30 And then I explained to him why, and and it's crazy, man. He kind of gets it now where he understands the the math there on on why he would do that. And so it is, it's crazy. You know, your kids are always watching what you do and they want to be just like us. I mean, you know, as parents, they look at, we're their idols, you know, and uh, Corey Peterson talks about this all the time where uh, when he was growing up, his dad was like the the Greek god. You know, he he's like he just remembers looking up to him. He was a, a minor league baseball player, and he just talks about how much he looked up to his dad. And yeah. you know, now that we are dads, maybe you don't feel that all the time. You know, I mean, there's moments where you clearly know your kids looking up to you, but there's also moments where it's like you know you're just dad. You know, you kind of show up and. Yeah, you know, maybe they're busy playing and they don't they don't run up and hug you like they used to and stuff like that. But they still they're constantly looking to us to to decide and figure out what's the best thing to do for their lives. And um, I think it's just so important, like you said, to build that legacy and and not only give them something to pass down, but also just to teach them what work ethic and creating something on their own and giving them that opportunity and laying out the foundation for them on what they can do with their life. Like you said, if they decide to, you know, and then I'm very much like that. Like Trinity doesn't have to be a real estate investor. He doesn't have to take over titanium investments when I get old, but if he wants to, the opportunity is going to be there. And I hope that's what he does because that's what I love to do. And I hope he loves it too. But if he doesn't, that's okay. I'm just showing him what you can do literally from nothing. And, uh, so I applaud you guys for uh, doing that for your children as well. Did you say just a couple of years ago y'all were only 18, 19 years old? How old are you guys? Oh, no, no. No, <laughs> no so we uh, – our first seminar together, because we were always uh, intrigued in uh, real estate. Uh, our first seminar together was when we were 18. So that's when we kind of – that was like our introduction to real estate and wholesaling and the rich dad, poor dad uh, philosophy. 
but gotcha. uh, we're, we're both 30. Um, so oh well, you're still young. Yeah, yeah. I have to say that because I'm 33. So y'all, <laughs> you guys are young. So. Uh, but that's awesome. You know, I mean, to be 30 years old and to be where you guys are and have those aspirations to be expanding nationwide. Um, I, I have no doubt in my mind that you guys are going to be su- successful at that and uh, continue to build that legacy for your kids. Yeah. And kudos uh, to you and Cassie as well, man, yeah. uh, for uh, cultivating that inspiration. Because uh, I know a lot of people listen to these podcasts, uh, the guests and the interviewers uh, make this seem like a pie in the sky. Uh, but it, it's it's all a grind, and at every level, uh, whether you're a wholesaler just trying to get that first deal, or whether you're the wholesaler trying to scale up uh, to one new market or nationwide, it's gonna be challenges at every single level. So, yep. attitude and that grit that you have uh, now, as long as you apply it, uh, then uh, you'll be fine. So we we didn't dream we'll be here. We just wanted to do wholesaling on the side for extra cash while we work nine to five jobs, right. and here we are full time. Uh, picking up our kids from school and uh, just being places we thought we wouldn't. And, and that's awesome, man. To that, like I, I want to let your your listeners know that um, you know, if you're doing it alone, don't be afraid to partner with people because uh, partnerships is a beautiful thing. You know, like we we both were doing different things in separate markets, but uh, you know, I'm just glad that when I did move down here, that you know, me and Mill got together and, and formed our business. Because uh, I, I, will, I I can sit here and say that I don't, I don't think I would probably be as far as we are uh, without them, you know. And, and vice uh, versa. So I, I think uh, I think if anybody's out there doing doing what they're doing alone, you know, don't don't get too big headed or too cocky to think that you you don't need a partner because at some point you just never know how big you can actually be without a second head, you know. Absolutely. Well, I mean, everything that we do at Titanium is revolves around partnership, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean. Without partners, there would be no conversation about Hawaii, Alaska, Arizona, Missouri. That wouldn't exist. We would just be here in DFW, and we would probably just be wholesaling still. Um, it's the power of strategically partnering with other people has enabled us to grow this. I mean, without partners, I wouldn't even have time to do the podcast. So, I mean, uh, I wholeheartedly agree that, you know, if, if you're struggling and um, you don't know what direction to go. A lot of that goes back to the fact that maybe you don't have the right people around you. Surround yourself with other people. Go to masterminds. Go to RIAs. Yep. Meet other people and and surround yourself with them. I'm always looking for opportunities to work with other people to find ways to expand our business. And literally every time I go to those events, I find somebody where there's a direct correlation where we can work to get work together and have a great reciprocal relationship. So guys, thank y'all so much for uh, taking the time to sit down with me. Uh, appreciate it so much. And I, I can't wait to watch you guys continue to grow and uh, grow nationwide. Appreciate it. I, I want to make a recommendation too, for those partnerships, uh, rocket fuel. I don't know if you want to put that in the show notes, but uh, if you read rocket fuel, you'll be able to identify which partner you need, whether if you're a visionary, that means you need an integrator. If you're an integrator, uh, that means you need a visionary. And that helped us out a lot, defining our roles so we could play to our strengths. Uh, Absolutely. Makes it even uh, easier. So, yep. yeah. Pre- All right, guys, that's our show for us this week. And uh, like always, a friendly reminder, if you enjoyed today's episode or any episodes of the Titanium Vault, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, That helps us get our word out to other real estate investors and helps spread the message. 
So thank you guys for joining us today, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks, RJ. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault.